Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. I've been coming to this church for as long as I can remember, and in the summers I go to my grandmother's church for VBS. VBS there is very similar to here. There are games and activities as well as, <laughs> as, well as Bible stories. I always had a lot of fun playing soccer and other games and doing the arts and crafts, but at the end of the day, I knew that I really went to learn about God. When I was around seven years old, there was an altar call at VBS. I can't even really explain why, but I just had the feeling that everything I learned at church and VBS was true, and that Jesus was real, and he really did all those things we learned about. I knew that it was not just in the past, but he's real now, too. I went up for the altar call to pray and asked God for forgiveness and prayed the sinner's prayer. To keep my faith growing, I go to God Quest almost every week. I try to learn as many quest verses as I can, and not just for the auction points, and I pray every night. I know that in the hardest times in life that he's always with me. As I grow and go through middle school and high school, I want to learn more about God and learn how to continue to keep my faith growing, too. My name is Sophie Marola, and I'm a follower of Christ. A reading from Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 6. We have a high priest like that. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of the king, the majesty in heaven. He serves in the sacred tent. A mere man did not set it up. Jesus has been given a greater work to do for God. That covenant is better He's the go-between for the new covenant. That covenant is better than the old one. It is based on better promises. The word of the Lord. I have props. So, um, glad you're here this morning. If you are visiting with us, we are delighted that you're here. And hopefully you got kind of a feel for who we are with our kids and, and everything that's going on. Hopefully you have felt welcomed because we want to that we want that to be a hallmark of who we are as a community of faith. Um, we have been in this series for the last number of weeks where we have been looking at a, a portion of the New Testament called Hebrews, which was originally a, a letter written to a group of Jewish Jesus followers who apparently were struggling with their faith a little bit. They, they, they were not stepping into the fullness of life that God has for them. They were just kind of settling for good enough. And so this, the author of this letter, and we don't know if it's a, a man or a woman, the author writes to them because he, she is concerned for them and, and wants them to step into this fullness of life. And so, um, the author just writes this letter. Now, one of the things, or the thing that we're going to look at this morning, 
in this text is how the author talks about the, the fullness of life that comes from, from being a part of what is called the new covenant. Now, how many of you are familiar with the phrase the new covenant? Okay. So if, you, if you've been to Trinity at least once, you've heard the phrase. Because each week when we do communion, which we do every week, which we will do later in the service, when, when I or James or whomever introduces the elements, when we come to the table, when we come to the cup, we, use, we, we quote Jesus as he, is, as he was talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, you know, and this is the cup of the new covenant. So we're familiar with the phrase, but I wonder how many of us really know what the new covenant is and how it relates to the old covenant. Um, you might say, well, Keith, you know, how important is that really? I think it's pretty important because if you read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, Paul says that anyone who is a Jesus follower is a minister of the new covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that if you're going to be ministers of something, it's pretty important that you know what that something is. Yeah? And so, hopefully this morning, we're going to come to understand a little more clearly what this new covenant is and how we can step into the fullness of life that is offered in the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The author plainly says, here's the point. Verse 1. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest. In, in chapter 7 and in chapter 5, he's been talking about the priests, uh, that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning he is a forever priest. He had no beginning and no end, and he's forever in the presence of, of God. He says, now we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. He says, we don't have earthly priests offering earthly sacrifices in an earthly temple. Rather, we have an eternal priest who is offering eternal sacrifices. We, Jesus is our priest and he sat down at the right hand of the very presence of God. See, Jesus Christ doesn't, <coughs> doesn't merely or arbitrarily just come in and, and, you know, bump out the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is the fulfillment of of the reality that, that God promised. The Levitical priesthood was never intended to be a permanent thing. Messiah was, was intended to replace it. The physical and the temporal was meant to be replaced with the spiritual and the eternal. And so in verses 3 and 4, the author contrasts the physical and temporal with the spiritual and eternal. And in verse 5... He tells us that the, the, the earthly tabernacle and the ceremony associated with it and the, and the, the law, <coughs> excuse me, 
and the, and the law that goes with it, they, they were never intended to be a permanent thing. In verse 5, I want you to, I want you to listen for three key words that, that we're intended to pick up on describing the earthly tabernacle. It says they, meaning the, the earthly high, the earthly priests, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned, was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. There are three words that we need to pay attention to. Copy, shadow, and pattern. Um, what's a copy? It's a replica. It's a representation. It's not the real thing, right? The Greek word means uh, literally to show underneath. And, and you can think about it like this. If, when you were in preschool, you, um, you put your hand in finger, paint, finger paints and then you pressed it on paper. Anybody else do that? Okay. And then you lift your hand up, and what's underneath? A copy. There's a, it's not the real hand, but it's a representation of the real hand. And you can get an idea of the real hand from what was underneath. All right? You have a copy, and then, he, then the author uses the word shadow. We all know what a shadow is. A shadow, similarly, is not the real thing. A shadow is when the light is shined on something, the shadow is, is a representation of that something. It's a silhouette that helps us get an idea of the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And so the author is saying that, that, the, that the law and the tabernacle were a copy and a shadow of the real thing. And then he uses a word, that is used five times in the book of Exodus, uh, referring to the law, that the law had a pattern. And the Greek word for pattern is the word tupas, which also means image. And when they would mint coins, they would, they would take a tupas that had an image on it, and they would, they would create a coin that, that had this image that wasn't the real thing, but it represented the real thing. What the author is telling us is that the, that the law and the tabernacle, they are a copy and a shadow that, that, are, that come from a pattern that show us what the heavenly reality is. They're not the real thing. They're not the permanent thing. They're not the thing that we need to trust our life in, but they show us what, what it is that we need to trust our life to. Uh, it's like this. In order for us to step into the fullness of life that God created us to have, we need to be in His presence. Um, living life to the fullness can only be found in the presence of God. But there's a problem. Um, God is holy and uh, news alert, we are not. Right? I mean, and because God is holy and we are not, we can't come into his presence. And God gave us the law 
so that we could see God's holiness as represented in the law and recognize that we can't come to him on our own. But the good news is Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all of the law. Jesus Christ was God um, in the flesh. He was God incarnate. And when we identify with him, as Paul said, we are in him. And therefore, just as Jesus can go into God's presence and is there forever and ever, we too can step into God's presence through Christ and thus experience the fullness of life. Okay? Did you get that? Kind of? Okay, I've got props. Okay, so this is God. He is pure. He is holy. He is um, all things that we want out of life. And only in him can we experience the fullness of life. But here we are. We are sugar cubes. Sweet because we're made in the image of God. But we're kind of hard and crusty and we're square. We're cube. You know, we're sinful. And we don't we can't enter into the presence of God. Um, but then here's Jesus. And Jesus is everything God was, except in human form. And so Jesus is the fullness of God, and he can go into God's presence, no problem. And so the question is, how can we come into the presence of God? This is a, a tea strainer. And it represents the holiness of God. And so we try. And it's just frustrating. And life just doesn't work. And it's, you know, it's disappointing. And we got, we're getting, you know, stuff beat around. And we're getting broke. And there's just disappointment and discouragement. So how can we enter into the presence of God? How can we experience the fullness of life? What if we could identify with Jesus? What if we could be, as Paul says, in him? Well, the gospel says that when we put our trust in Christ, we are in him. And slowly we dissolve and become more and more like Jesus. And sometimes it, it takes a while. And so sometimes, you know, God has to do some work on us, you know, to, to move things along. And it's not fun and it's a little painful, but, um, <laughs> but over time we become more and more like Jesus and we are able to enter into the presence of God just like Jesus can and experience the fullness of life. Now, what did I just show you? I showed you a copy, a shadow, a pattern what the heavenly reality is. Now, what if there were a group of people who every year we would come together and, and we would go through this and, and we had, there was a priesthood that would lead us through it. They were of the line of James. They were the Jamesitical uh, priests, you know, the Jamesites. And so the Jamesites would lead us through this, this process where, where, you know, the, the, the Jamesitical priest would hold up 
you know, this and talk about the purity of God and the fullness of life in Him and, and how Jesus is the same as God and, and, but we're sugar cubes and we can't get there because of the, you know, the law and, and, and we would just say amen and amen. And then at the end of the service, the, the Jamesite would invite us forward and they would take water and they would sprinkle it on us and, and we would go out and we would have, have been reminded of the, the heavenly reality for the next year. But then, what if the one comes along, the Holy One of God, who is not a copy or a shadow, but is the real deal. And this Holy One of God says, you don't have to go through this. You, you can experience the fullness of life in me. And there are a group of people who say, yes, we don't need this anymore. We, we have the real thing in Jesus and, and you are saved by, by faith in Christ alone. But then there's a group of people who, who think that faith in Jesus alone doesn't save and that, that we still need to keep coming every year to do this. And we, we still need to talk about the sugar cubes and the, you know, the water and all that stuff every year. What would you say to them? If you knew the truth about Jesus, the, re, the kingdom reality of Jesus, what would you say to them? You would say, you don't have to do that anymore. That is a copy. That is a shadow and a pattern of the truth that is in Jesus. You can step into the fullness of life that is in Him. That's the new covenant. That's the old. He is the new. Friends, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. The law doesn't fulfill anything. It was simply a copy and a shadow that came from the the reality of a heavenly pattern. So why are we through with the old system? Because God never intended for the old, old covenant to be permanent and efficacious. That's why the author says in verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. There's our phrase, the new covenant. What is this new covenant that's better covenant founded upon better promises? Well, let's talk about covenants for a minute. There are two, two types of covenant. There are one-way covenants and two-way covenants. In the Mosaic covenant of the law, that was a two-way covenant that has uh, two-way covenants have if-then clauses. If you do this, then I will do this. And in the Mosaic law, it was a two-way covenant. God said, if you will obey me, if you will be faithful to me, then I will keep the locusts away. Then I will keep the drought from coming. Then I will um, protect you from your enemies. If you will be faithful to me, then I will be faithful to you. But what was that covenant contingent upon? 
it was contingent upon Israel's faithfulness. If they didn't live up to it, then God wasn't going to protect them. That was how it worked. And God gave them the law to show them that at the end of the day, they could never approach Him on their own. They could never live up to their end of the the, the um, covenant and that they needed to humble themselves and put themselves at the mercy of God and, and depend upon the grace of God. But Israel never did that. And by the time John the Baptist shows up on the scene, Israel has reinterpreted the law and added all these layers to the law because they keep trying to do it themselves. There's a great case in point in Luke chapter 18, and some of you are familiar with this story. Um, there's a, a young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, um, Jesus, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? You know this story? And, and Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the guy quotes back to Jesus the last five commandments of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, great, do this and live. And the guy, you know, just kind of chuckles and he kind of thinks, well, is that it? Jesus, I've been doing these since I was a kid. There's got to be more to it than that. Come on, throw something else at me. So Jesus said, okay. So um, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. You see what Jesus was doing? He took the guy back to commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And you know how the story ends. The, it says the young man's countenance fell and he walked away in silence. Which is exactly what the scripture says. That all humanity is hushed before a holy God. We are, when we stand before a holy God who shows us the absolute perfection of his holiness, we've got nothing to say. We're sugar cubes trying to get through a tea strainer. Friends, that's what a two-way covenant looks like. It is based upon, um, two-way covenants are based upon, I'll do this if you'll do that. Um, and that was the old covenant. But you and I have a better covenant. The old covenant said, do this and be blessed. The new covenant says, you are blessed. Now live out of that blessing. You see, we live out of grace. Marriage is a covenant. And when I, do, uh, when I do weddings, I lead the couple through wedding vows that are, you know, the, um, you know, I take you for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, sickness and health, you know, that, that stuff. Um, that's a one-way covenant, by the way. Because there's no if-then clauses. You know, I wonder how, um, you know, Daniel and, and Lisa would have felt if, if when I did your wedding a few years ago, if I would have um, 
you know, how Lisa would have felt if I would have said to Daniel, okay, Daniel, repeat after me. I, Daniel, take you, Lisa, to me, my, my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold until you burn the dinner. Um, right? You know, from this day forward, unless you get nasty with me. Um, or how Daniel would have felt if I would have said to Lisa, you know, repeat after me, I take you, Daniel, be my lawfully wedded husband, you know, as long as you make 200K a year, you know, or, or until you leave your, you know, underwear on the floor. That, <laughs> hey, it happens. That's a two-way covenant, and in that two-way covenant, the, the success of the covenant is dependent upon the performance of the individuals. But God doesn't make a two-way covenant with us. The new covenant is one way where God says, I will save you. I will give my son to die on a cross for you. And all you need to do is put your faith in Him. And my word will not change. I will bring you to glory. I will usher you into abundant life. Uh, That is my promise to you. I I will change your heart and I will put my law in your mind so that you can live out of that. But you are going to live out of my grace. Now, what do you say to that covenant? I don't know about you, but I say I do. See, that's the new covenant. Our service and obedience to God is not prompted by a spiritual arm twisting or having the lake of fire aimed at our head. It is prompted by looking at the cross of Calvary and out of gratitude saying, My gracious God, how then shall I live? Friends, the fullness of life comes. When we follow God because we are compelled by grace, not driven by fear. And that's what the new covenant is all about. It is not do this and be blessed. It is you are blessed and now live out of that blessing. In verse 7, the author says, If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So what went wrong? Well, he tells us in verses 8 and following where he quotes from Jeremiah 31. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, God was saying, You wouldn't obey the law. You wouldn't obey the law under the priests, under the the judges, under the kings. You wouldn't obey anyone. So I'm not going to change the law. But someday I'll change you. 
I'm going to affect your heart and it's going to be a new covenant that is not dependent upon you. It is dependent upon me. You see, Jeremiah foretold that this new covenant was going to come about and then Jesus fulfilled it. In the upper room, Jesus held up the cup and he said, this blood is the cup of the new covenant. You see, before God could give us freedom as his children, he had to deal with that sin problem. And the only way to deal with that sin problem was through sacrificing his son and for Jesus to shed his blood on the cross. That's the new covenant. You get it? About four people get it. Do I need to do this again? So we. Okay, Fred got it. Jeremiah prophesied it. Jesus fulfilled it. And the Apostle Paul comes along and the Apostle Paul says, and guess what? We get to be ministers of it. This is from 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. We're sugar cubes. We can't go through the tree strainer. We can't do it on our own. We are not competent. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of what? The new covenant. Not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, the law kills, the old covenant kills, but the Spirit gives life. Friends, when we try to come into the presence of God on our own, when we try to to find a life of fulfillment on our own, we find nothing but death. We're cubes trying to get through a strainer. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you enter into a new covenant, not of the letter, that says do this and do that, but a covenant of the Spirit where God changes us and gives us the grace to live the life we've always wanted. And you know what's really cool? We get to tell other people about that. We get to be ministers of this new covenant of grace. He doesn't He doesn't communicate it through angels. He communicates it through you and me. People who follow Jesus get to tell others about the glorious work of Jesus and the life that he came to give us. Friends, if you know Jesus, you do not have simply a shadow of grace. You have the real deal. And the real thing is simply the best. And we get to tell other people about it. We are called to be ministers of the new covenant. And not just called, but we are made competent. Not in ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Because because we are in Him. And when we are in Him, we are empowered by Him to live this, this life of fullness that only He can live. And we are empowered to share that life with other people. When you can live your life in the presence of God because of Jesus, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's the invitation of God through the new covenant. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace in our lives. I thank you for your love in our lives. I thank you for your sacrifice. And that through your life, you you showed us the real thing. You are the reality of heaven. And we don't have to look to a copy or a pattern or a shadow anymore, but we can trust in you and identify with you and thus step into the fullness of life that you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that not only would we step into that, but we would revel in it so much so that we would glory in telling other people about it. While your heads are bowed, I just... I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit for a moment. Is there someone in your life that needs to know Jesus that you're praying for? That you should be, could be praying for? Is there a co-worker or a family member that that you that God has given you the privilege of having relationships so that you could tell them the good news of Jesus Lord, I pray that you would convict all of us that we've got this great news and you have privileged us, you have called us to be purveyors of the gospel. May we take that privilege and responsibility seriously. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who has continued to try to get to you and experience the fullness of life on their own, I pray that today they would recognize that they are a cube trying to get through a tea strainer and that, Lord, today they would identify themselves with you. And if that's you, you can pray right now in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I put my life in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 25 years ago, uh, God called uh, Dee and me to New York and to this wonderful community of faith. And um, now God is calling us back to Texas. We... uh, When we were in uh, Texas at the end of April, moving my parents into assisted living, we just looked at each other and thought, uh, we need to be here. And we came back from, from that trip and went on vacation and over the next month, or next week, I should say, prayed. And God just affirmed over and over and over that, that this was the right time for us to move back. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I told the elders and, and we, we had a, a conversation about 
you know, what's next and communicating with you guys and, and transition. And, and this past week I told our staff and, and trustees. And, and this morning I want to tell you because, um, well, we love you. And we have loved almost every minute of being here. Um, there have been a few where I'm going, yeah, I'm not sure. But it has been just an incredible um, time in our lives to, to spend a quarter of a century with people is, has been really a blessing. And you have loved us well, and, and hopefully you've felt our love of you. And, um, and it's real bit, bittersweet for us. There's no time on this. I don't have a job, um, so you can pray for that. Don't pray against it, please. Um, we, we have an apartment that needs to sell, so we will be here for months, and we want to uh, be here to, to help move through the transition. Uh, what did I leave out? A lot, I'm sure. Well, you know, I've been waiting 25 years for this microphone, so here I am. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, uh, it's unconventional to tell people you're going to leave before you have a job to go to, but we wanted you guys to know what is on our heart. And we have a commitment to, um, when God says go, I mean, we make it, we make the commitment ahead of time that when God says go, we're going to say yes. And, um, and for 25 years, it's been here. It's been about being here. But um, God said, come to Texas, it's time. And so we're saying yes. And we don't know what it looks like. We don't know what city we're going to be in. We don't have a job. Um, so that's a lot. There's a lot to be done uh, in the meantime. But we don't want it to our process to be a secret from you guys. We want you to know uh, what's going on with us. We want you to know um, we'll keep you informed in the process. And um, we have loved being here. Uh, you've loved us well. You've loved our children well. It's been a fabulous 25 years. But, and hear this, we just celebrated uh, Trinity's 150th anniversary. And God has been working in this place long before we came. And he will be working in this place long after we leave. Mm -hmm. And so stay and participate and, and be a part of what God's going to do in this place. And what he's always done in this place. Uh, it's not about us. We were just privileged to be stewards of it for a while. And uh, it was a real privilege. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so pray for us. There's a lot of transitions ahead. Um, and we're, uh, it's a real bittersweet time. Sometimes we're real excited. Sometimes we're really sad, yeah. depending on when you catch us. Yeah. Um, but, um, but pray for us. And I cried hard this week. <laughs> yeah, we've had some tears. We've had some tears this week. So uh, do pray for us, and I'm going to save all my other sermons for another time. So. And I get them all the time. <laughs>